Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to share with you the conversation today. I had the most delicious, fun, lengthy, juicy conversation with the most requested podcast guest from this community with Ruthie Lindsay. If you are not familiar with Ruthie's journey with her book. She is the author of the book, There I Am, The Journey from Hopelessness to Healing. And in the book, and also in this conversation, Ruthie shares a remarkable story surviving an accident as a teenager that nearly paralyzed her, and then her subsequent battle as a young person with chronic pain, dependency. She shares a journey from losing her marriage, living in her bed, addicted to pain medications, to living beyond her pain story. And that's really a focus of today's conversation because Ruthie spent years as a teacher and a speaker. And we talk about how she and I actually originally met was where she was speaking at an event. And she shared even still while she was public about her journey, she hadn't quite yet experienced the full acceptance and the knowing that she's not broken. And so in this episode, which was so generous and abundant, Ruthie shares, of course, her story with chronic pain and the accident. She shares her experience with depression and she shares the journey to healing and recovery, acceptance and learning to receive love from herself. This conversation goes everywhere from plant medicine to ceremony to, again, conversation around pain and chronic pain to really learning how to let go of control. This conversation did not hold back at all. So I I am so thrilled for you to listen to this. And of course, if you're listening to this in real time, Awaken Her Soul, my six-month program is open for enrollment. So if you are listening and it is still September, then you still have time to enroll in the program 
You can go to awakenhersoul.com if you are interested in coaching with me over the next six months. I would absolutely love to have you. And without further ado, let's dive in to this conversation with Ruthie Lindsay. Beautiful. Ruthie, I told you this when we got on the call that you are the most requested person from my audience and my community they're like, please have Ruthie on the podcast. And so I'm so grateful to have you. And I know that everyone is so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative and I'm so touched and humble that (laughs) your sweet community invited me into this. And thank you so much for asking. I'm really grateful to have this time with you and to get to learn from you and chat with you. This is such a treat. So thank Mm, you. You're welcome. So we were, we were catching up about a couple of things that we could talk about today. And I share with you, I've heard you live and a lot of people know your story and some people, you know, of course might be new to hearing from you. And so if you could give us a dip into why people know you, why people, why Ruthie was such a requested name, the story that everyone uh, feels so pulled to hear from, from you. Well, well, that is so kind, you know? Yeah. We were chatting about that and I was like, I love that you got to hear me speak because for so long, you know, if I had done this podcast with you, if I had been asked to speak at a conference or a retreat, probably 85 to 90% of my talk would have been my pain story. Cause that's what I found a lot of um, identity in a lot of worth in. I felt like it kind of made me feel special. I'm, I'm actually the only human that's ever had a wire pierce their brainstem and live to tell the tale and walking. And um, basically an I'll give you a little brief overview of my story as I was hit by an ambulance when I was a senior in high school and died in a car accident and um, was on life support for a long time. I broke the top two vertebrae in my neck, C1 and C2, and you have like, you know, 5% chance to walk. And usually people that break that high up have a 1% chance to live and um, broke a lot of other things too, but I was in the hospital for a long time. And back then they used wire and spinal cord fusions. That was just the standard practice back in the very late nineties. And since then they've stopped doing that because wires can break and mine happened to break. Um, and it pierced my brainstem and I, it took them about five years to discover that, but I lived in my bed for all those years. I was on every narcotic under the sun, you name it. I was on the highest level of fentanyl patch, morphine, hydrocodone. Um, I'd just gotten married when the um, really debilitating pain had started. I, I wasn't functional. I was very trapped in this vicious, self-deprecating, self-hateful just story and felt very parked and stuck in my life. Um, you know, I thought all my pain started when I had that wreck. I didn't understand anything about pre-verbal trauma. I didn't know. I would have been like, you know, everything was really good. It probably, when you heard my story, it probably sounded like I had the perfect childhood. And it did. I was like, damn, you know? every element of it was very beautiful. I mean, I'm sure it was also very beautiful. But then I also, since then, like I, you know, writing my book sent me on a journey. Like you can't even begin to imagine. It kicked my ass on a soul level and burned burn parts of my life down on what in ways they say that 
they say that about books. And I'm like, everyone keeps asking, like, when's your book coming? And I'm like, whenever I have space to have a meltdown, okay? <laughs> and it's a not lot today. Of meltdown, <laughs> a lot of meltdown. But it was also so important. Like, I couldn't be the person that's going to sit across from you today. Had that not happened, it did burn some shit down and it, a lot of shit down so much that didn't fit anymore. And so many of the masks that I'd built to feel acceptable and loved and, you know, so many stories that I've been taught, so many patriarchal stories, so many church stories, so many family stories of who I was supposed to be and how I needed to look and how I could get attention and affection and love and just stories, you know, but it burned it down. Like it was so traumatic and it was an entry point. It brought me home. Like I, in so many ways, it like brought me back home to myself. It introduced me to plant medicine. Cause it was like, what's, I, I was not well writing that book. I was not well. I mean, I stopped sleeping. I hit the seven year mark. So I lived in my bed for seven years. And then while finishing up the book, literally at towards the end, I hit the seven year mark since that nervous breakdown. And I stopped sleeping completely again. I didn't know anything about seven year cycles, which I've learned a lot since then, but completely to the week of that nervous breakdown, I stopped sleeping again. And it was incredibly traumatizing. And I, I learned so much. Oh my God. But I learned about some some pre-verbal stuff that happened. I learned about some early childhood things that I didn't know. And it made a lot of sense to me and, you know, going to treatment and all these things, I, I was able to unearth a lot of just core wounds and a lot of pain points that again, I thought all my pain was like, started with this wreck, which is so cute. Um, <laughs> and I love that part of me, you know, but all of it was just these invitations and yeah, so I lived in a bed for seven years. I um, ended up having to get the wire removed and they took bone out of my hip and they removed the wire and then they refused my neck with titanium screws. And I was like at the top hospital, top surgeons, like everyone wanted to work on me because of, you know, they get off on being the only person working on the only human that's had something and they hoped it would help my pain. And, you know, at that time I put all my eggs in the basket of this is the one thing that can fix me. Cause I also thought I needed to be fixed. <laughs> you know, I was like this, all of my suffering has to do with this pain. And if, and these doctors, this surgery is going to be the one chance I have of getting better is what I believed at the time. And so they were able to get the wire out and I left walking. Cause I mean, I was a ticking time bomb there. Like you shouldn't be alive and you shouldn't be walking. And if we don't get this out, those things at some point will happen, but the surgery itself was high, high risk for those things. And so I left the hospital with another big ass neck brace with the wire literally in my hand, but I was still in just as much pain, just a different type of pain. I ended up getting a lot of severe nerve damage. And so I went right back to my bed for two more years and I was, you know, on even more drugs at that point. So my partner ended up leaving. My dad had passed away. All these kind of traumatic events happened. And it was just like, you know, just, I felt like at the time I felt like, um, I couldn't catch a break. I felt like the world was against me. I felt abandoned by God, by the God that I'd been taught about that fit in a very small box. I felt very abandoned because I did all the things that I was taught to be a good girl, to fit in this box, to do, you know, 
These are the things that you have to do to have a good life, to be a good person. And I did those things, check, check, check. And I was a nightmare and my world looked like a fucking firestorm. And so it was just, it was traumatizing. And I felt abandoned by all of life, by God, by my, you know, my dad left the world, my partner left all of this. And it was just, it was, um, traumatizing. I don't, I don't even know if there's a stronger word, but that's how it felt. It felt traumatizing. So I have this surgery and I, I'm not fixed. I'm in just as much pain. I'm not well. And so at that point, I'm like, just take me now. I all, I would just, I would dream about dying because all I could think was like, everyone would be better if I weren't here. All I can do is take all I, I don't want to live in these four walls. All I did was lay in a bed, take drugs, eat food all day, every day and watch reality television. That was my life for seven years. And I hated my life. I hated my body. I thought my body hated me. I would say my body hated me constantly. And I just, all I could daydream about was leaving. It was just, and it just breaks my heart for that girl. Cause I thought that's all there was. I thought there was no hope. If I had to live in this body, in this hell, like take me now, you know, and the thought of being in my body. So it makes so much sense to me why I left, <laughs> like, give me the hell out of here, you know? And that big, big nervous breakdown that happened after those seven years and my partner and I finishing and, you know, it, um, it was kind of one of those, one of those massive kind of kicked out of the nest moments where it's like, whatever you're doing obviously isn't working. I couldn't, I didn't sleep for, I mean, for about two months, I didn't sleep at all. I just had panic attacks all day, every day. Um, I had to move home. I couldn't take care of myself. I, I mean, I wouldn't bathe. I couldn't eat, um, much less pay a bill or anything. I was not functional at all as a human being. And so I had to move home with my family. They had to like treat me like a baby in so many ways. I was that helpless and that lost. And they would just, I would just stare blank eyed with these big eyes. Like I was so scared. All I could feel was fear. I was so scared to be alive. I was so scared to be. And then also just the amount of shame that I felt because I was like taught to be a very good girl. And I, I took in all these stories, hook, line, and sinker of what it is to be a very good girl. I just wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be loved. And I wanted, I learned how to smile even when I was hurting, you know, I'd smile so big and everything was about what other people thought. And here I was, you know, I was like a very popular kid, like homecoming queen and all these things. And here I was a fucking nightmare who couldn't take care of, who couldn't feed herself, who couldn't bathe. And so the amount of shame that I felt was visceral because I knew people knew about it. And I was like, knew everyone was talking about it. And if all of my worth and identity is in what other people think, and right now all they think of me as the crazy girl that's lost her mind, I mean, take me now, take me now. That was, that felt even scarier and more painful than the pain in my body, which the pain in my body was horrific. I couldn't even function, you know? Right. And then also like how it feeds that, how shame feeds physical pain 
even if some of us don't realize, I believe in the long term, the way that that can feed illness. Oh my God. Well, and I had no idea about mind body connection. If someone, and they did, when people would talk to me about, you know, connecting with your body or that trauma or emotions could like cause more pain, I would want to punt them to the Yeah, F- like fuck off. <laughs> like I broke my neck, had a wire in my brain, and I'm the only human in the world, fucker. You're going to tell me that this is emotional? Like, just move mm-hmm. the fuck out of here because you don't know. And I just couldn't even comprehend that anything could be more. I thought all my pain was this physical pain. And I love that version of me. Like, bless her. Of course she did. That's all she was taught, you know? And my family didn't know anything different than that. None of us learned anything about mind body connection, you know? And so all of this has been my entry point. Every bit of it, the painful things that happened in childhood, growing up in a very um, moral, I was, you know, a part of a church that told me I was a broken, depraved wretch. And we sang hymns about being broken, depraved wretches. I believed those words, hook, line, and sinker. I had massive, massive eating disorder. I, My mom, you know, was just this stunning, beautiful woman, but everything was about appearance and being skinny and everything mattered about what you looked like. Like when I walk in the front door, they say, what'd you say about you today? What'd they say? What'd they say about your outfit? What'd they say about how you looked? Did they say how pretty you are? Not like, how was today? How's your heart? You know, everything was about what everyone else thought. And I am this like highly sensitive, highly empathic like going to the grocery store can kick my ass at times because I'm feeling everyone's freaking trauma. You know, I'm like, oh my God. And then I wasn't in a home that knew how to handle that. So I learned how to stuff it. I learned, I think I gave myself an eating disorder so young, just to even, it kept me alive. Honestly, it kept me alive because I didn't have the tools to know how to handle everyone's trauma and my own surrounding me. So it makes so much sense to me that I disassociated so young, but of course I didn't. It's so beautiful, right? Like our adaptive strategies want to protect us. And we spend so much time hating our patterns when those patterns worked at keeping us alive. We wouldn't be here. When I realized that I didn't even know, which is so funny. I didn't know. It was so this last spring, literally last spring. Do you know who Laura Lynn Jackson is? The psychic medium. Anyway, we were, she's like this profound medium. And she was like, you know, you're like off the charts empathic. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, hello. (laughs) She's like, people like you oftentimes kill themselves or become like massive drug addicts because they can't handle everything they feel in the world and everything they feel for everyone else until they have the tools. Right. And I was like, Oh, that was my eating disorder. And then literally I'm not even getting two hours later, I was going to do this work with this shaman and I walked up. She'd never met me before and T minus two seconds after meeting me, she goes, you're an off the charts empath, aren't you? And I was like, well, I didn't know I was. She's like, how did you not know that? I'm like, I don't know. I, and then like, when I say it to my friends, they're like, we've no- hello, ma'am. How yeah. <laughs> but it makes- if going to the grocery store makes you cry because you can feel everyone's feelings and you have so much compassion, I might, I don't know. It hasn't happened to me. I'll say that. 
it's like, I don't, I don't know how I missed that memo. I somehow missed that memo, but it's so interesting because now I just thought I was really high maintenance is what I thought. I thought Mm. I was, which is probably what you were mirrored, right? Like, wow, Ruthie's a lot. She's a lot. And I am, I take up a lot of space and a lot of room, but I learned how to shrink all of that. You know, I learned how to, to make myself smaller and to, you know, and to minimize like that Think about eating disorder, you're literally shrinking yourself, right? Cause you're just trying not to be your full expression. Cause we're not taught how to do that. So all of the things that I'm talking about right now, it's so beautiful. Cause like when I spoke at Omega a month or two ago, I'm like, I'm going to sum up this pain story for you. And then we're going to talk about everything it's invited me into because the return investment on this pain is so much greater than any pain, any pain that I've experienced physically, emotionally, spiritually, like what it's brought me back to, what it's brought me home to the remembering that this has gifted me the medicine. And now what I get to mirror in the world, like you know, I, um, I'm teaching right now at Savannah at this wellness resort for a few weeks while I'm out on this pilgrimage. And like, I'm getting to do these tea ritual card readings for people. And I'm like sitting there this morning and I'm like, I couldn't, you, you get to see what happens, right? You get to hear about it. And I couldn't do the work that I get to do today. I couldn't be the person sitting across from you today if all of it all of it mattered. All of it got me to, to this place, to this part of me. And I can say with the depths of my soul, like I wouldn't change it because I love who I get to be today. I love this body. I love this life that I get to live. I love the people in my life. Oh my God. I love the work I get to do. And it doesn't mean that it's all easy. (laughs) Like, holy shit, earth school, it's hard. There's like still plenty of hard things. I still have pain in my body, but I'm in love with my life. I'm in love with my work. And it all was a part of the journey to get me here. You know, you've said so many things that the things that, I mean, really have struck me are you know, writing the book and mind you, even seven year cycles, I find internal family systems and family constellations, both so interesting because people will often develop symptoms the same way their parent did or the same season where they experienced a trauma as a child. And it's like, wow, our bodies are so brilliant storing that until the season was ready for it to emerge. So that just feels like, wow, your body is just, whenever you went back to write experiencing those things that feels really significant. And also that you had been living from what I understand for seven years, publicly sharing this before you even wrote the book. And so I'm really curious, you know, that, uh, what sounds like an ego death, what sounds like just identities sloughing off of you as you wrote this book, would you be willing to drop in and share a little bit about that journey and about treatment and about plant medicine and who emerged from the ashes of that experience? Yeah. I love that question. You know, it's, it, it's a constant emerging because like, I hope that a year from now, I'll look at this version of me and be like, Oh my God, she's so precious. And she thought she knew things. (laughs) 
I hope that I'm this way. And I hope when I'm 90 years old, I'm walking around with a notebook and a pen, like taking notes and learning. Like I feel like a fetus in so many ways. And in some ways I feel ancient. I've done this so many times. (laughs) I've been here so many times, you know, and, but yeah, I mean the book, I, um, when I went into it, I'd said no to writing a book for three years. And finally it's like the divine knew what I needed. And I mean, it's this crazy kismet. You can't make this shit up. I was like backstage with a friend at Glennon Doyle conference and ended up meeting her agent and her agent ended up literally being like, you have to write a book and I'm going to represent you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And it literally ended up being, it was the 20th anniversary of my wreck and the day of my dad's birthday who passed away. And I'm like, at that point, it would have been me like doing this, flipping the bird to the universe. Like you can't, it was handed to me. I didn't want to write a book. And then to have like the best agent in the world want to represent me and like come to, it, it was just, it was crazy. And so I was like, like teeth naturally like, okay. And I think subconsciously, you know, you had heard me speak before that, like I could get up and kind of in a pretty disassociated way, tell a story, almost like I was telling it in third person and I'm a storyteller and I love telling stories and I love the affirmation that I get from it. So I could stand on a stage for an hour and then get a lot of affirmation and then walk off and not think about it. Right writing a book, you're living that story for two and a half, three, sometimes longer. And, you know, I didn't understand any of this at the time, our beautiful little limbic brains that don't know time doesn't know that you're not right back in that trauma and you're writing about it every day. So you're reliving these experiences of, you know, burying my father of living in a bed for seven years of going through a pretty traumatic divorce, um, losing people that you love, like all of these things, you're re-experiencing them. And again, that limbic part of your brain that doesn't know time doesn't know that you're not right back in that experience, which of course, later I learned because it sent me to treatment and all the things like what's so profound about our limbic brains not knowing time is I have since gotten through plant medicine, through EMDR, through nonlinear movement, through all these meditations, gone back in and taking care of those younger versions of me. I have used to be like, I couldn't even walk into a hospital. The smells would send me and like, I'd want to be in the fetal position <laughs> under the bed. You know, if someone said I had to get a shot, I'm like, you think they're saying I'm going to take your firstborn, like, because I was so traumatized by hospital and all these experiences I'd had and spending so much time traumatized in a hospital. But then as I learned these beautiful modalities of being able to go back in and take baby Ruthie and nurse her or take Ruthie out of that wreck and surrounded by my light workers and hold her and tell her how brave she is and how loved she is and how 
good she is and how I'm going to take care of her now. And she's so safe, so loved, and I'm so proud of her and learning how to feel those emotions in my body and to learn how to move them through my body. You know, all of these modalities that it brought me into to learn, like I remember a treatment, them saying it's never too late to create the perfect childhood. And I was like, come on, say, huh? What do you mean? But because our limbic brain didn't know time, your my brain doesn't know that's not exactly how it happened. I can walk into any hospital today. I mean, I don't who wants to, but I can. It's not going to trigger me. It doesn't activate me. Getting shots, I'm like, where do you want it? You know, because it doesn't activate me anymore. Because I have gone back in and taken care of those versions of me that were so traumatized. So Getting back to your original question, writing the book, it just, it was so traumatizing. And I think that's why I was asked to do it because it wanted to bring all of this. Like, I think when we're activated as painful as it is, it comes up because it longs to be seen. It longs to be looked at. It longs to be welcomed to the table and felt in our bodies and nurtured and danced with and communed with and reparented. And and it's so profound. Of course, we are taught how to do so many of those things. So we just learn to numb it and we push it down and we push it down and we stuff it with food and we stuff it with TV or we scroll or we drink more or we have mindless sex more. And listen, I've done all those things. Yeah, I know those things viscerally. I, I, you know, that was my life for most. And it's not like those aren't still in me. I can, I have to delete Instagram all the time because it's so easy for me to want to leave because like earth school, It's hard and beautiful, you know, but writing that it brought me because I was so not well writing that book. I was so not well that it brought me to plant medicine. So when I did, you know, they say that it calls you. I did ayahuasca for the first time. I've, I've done a lot of, not a lot yet. No, I have. I've done a lot of plant medicine. I've guided people through a lot of plant medicine journeys and which is like the greatest privilege and honor to get to do that for people. And I've received that. And it's, it was such a remembering for me. Like I, the book that I sold was called salvaged building a beautiful life with broken parts. That's the book I sold because I believed I was broken and I called myself trash And during an ayahuasca ceremony, and then about six months later, a mushroom journey, I was like, it was this clearest, like, I'm not broken. Whoa, I'm not broken. I was never broken. That was just a story. I am so whole. I am so worthy. I am so good. That was just a story I'd been taught. You know, like it was so crystal clear, that remembering was so crystal clear. And I was like, that's not the title of my book. <laughs> like, are you freaking kidding me? I was calling myself trash. Salvaged. Is that what you had said? Salvaged. Oh, Salvaged. oh my God. Literal trash, like yeah. trash yard, building a beautiful life with broken parts. I thought my body was broken. I thought I was broken. Mm-hmm. I used to say that we're going to find beauty in our brokenness, which there are broken things that happen, but we aren't broken, broken yeah. up things happen to everyone on planet earth. That is part of the incarnation of coming here. Right. 
we, our souls, our essence, we are not broken. We are not broken. And I think that has been such a important unlearning for me and remembering because there's still parts of me that sit at this table that loves to think something's inherently wrong with me. Like, why haven't I figured this out yet? Why do I go back to these old things? And I can, you know, shame sits at my table because that's just, I, I love to sometimes be that second moon. I'll have these old things come up and then I'll shame myself for having these things come up that are just so human. And so then I get to sit with that and commune with that part of me and love on that part of me. And all of the tools that I've learned, I had to learn because I wasn't well, <laughs> like I was so unwell for so long. And now you know, I'm like sitting there this morning doing these rituals and these ceremonies with people and like getting to mirror what I know is true, not just for me, but for all of us, this isn't mine, this is ours. And if I had not been so sick and so unwell for so long, I would have never learned all of these things. And I wouldn't ever have had to come back home to myself to heal and have the luxury and the beauty of getting to heal these things. And then I wouldn't have been able to go in the world and mirror that. And that feels like the greatest privilege, the greatest honor, the greatest gift. Like I just ran into a girl that was at one of my classes yesterday and we're both just like crying. And I'm like, I get to do this. I get to be a part of this. Like what an honor, what a freaking honor. Like I wouldn't change this for anything in the world. And it took, it's not like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad that I got so traumatized, <laughs> you know, but it is what happened. And I think now this is very meta and very zoomed out, but I think it's what my little soul signed up for. And I would never sit with someone that's in their trauma and be like, you precious soul, this is what you signed up for. You're, you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's so meta and it's missing that the Omega part of like, this is real. This is so real. And it's like I, one of those beliefs you have to come to on your own. You have to realize, oh, I, this is what I, my soul wanted. You can't tell. It's very patronizing. To tell someone it else it's that. like when you're in the church growing up and they're like, everything happens for a reason. And you're like, I want to fun- freaking punt you to the moon. Don't tell me that you sit with me and listen and hold space. Don't give me an advice. Just sit here. And I think luckily what it also gave me is it even deepened my empathic gifts. Cause I'm like, I know this place that you're in. I know what it is to be so lost, to be so stuck in my pain, to feel such visceral, physical, emotional, spiritual pain. I know what it is to go through a divorce. I know what it is to be cheated on. I know what it is to be left. I know what it is to lose loved ones that you are just so connected to. I know what it is to want to die more than anything on this earth wanting to die. I know it. I feel it. I can feel it with you. And I know this isn't the end. This is just the entry point. And I believe that with every cell in my body, that this isn't the end, that there is so much hope and there is so much healing for us that we were created for it. We are meant for it. It is our birthright. 
it is our freaking birthright, like joy and delight and ecstasy, <laughs> freaking ecstasy. Like I was taught, I mean, I married my first boyfriend 10 months after I met him because we felt so guilty about sex. So I thought I was taught like, this is dirty. This is, and so sensuality, like we are meant to freaking explode with just joy and sensuality and sexuality. And it's just, you know, we aren't taught those things, but it is for all of us. It is our birthright. And all of this that I've lived through invited me home to these rememberings. And it's just, you know, um, I can look at someone with the depths of sincerity and like hold that hope for them when they're suffering so deeply. I can hold that and believe that with every ounce of me. No one's too far gone. No one. If I can heal, <laughs> let me just tell you, I was a fucking nightmare for a very, 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 very long time. And I love that girl. Oh, I, I actually wanted to dedicate my book to the Ruthie that lived in her bed. <laughs> and my agent was like, or the editor for the, anyway, Simon Schuster was like, no, people would not get that. That would just, <laughs> I'm like, I don't care what people get. Like, I'm so in love with that version of me because she got me right here. I can be me today. If that girl, like I am in love with her. I honor her. She is a part of this and she is not someone that I had to like, oh, she's disgusting. No, that precious girl, she was just hurting so bad and she's so welcome at this table. I honor her. You've said so many things that are really curious to me. The first being that when you were on stage, you could just disassociate and tell your story. And I very much relate to that. You know, people saying, Oh, I feel so close to you. You shared so many personal things. I'm like, that means nothing to me. Yeah. I can't that's feel like any of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, yeah. uh, that's not, I'm not being vulnerable, you know, but it's, you know, other people might view it as vulnerable because it's disclosure, but having a very different, I think, uh, we're similar in that way. And yet, you know, there's a, a tenderness to you and ability to drop into feeling that has always really struck me. But, you know, as I've observed in the last couple of years and your growth, and then being in spaces with you that aren't like on social media, I've seen just how tender and how much you really, really care. And I'm wondering what it was like for you, if you always had access to that, or if through this process, something shifted to where you could be in your heart space more. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. You know, it's, I'm, I'm so honored that you said that because I think what I haven't given myself credit for at times when I, you know, my best friend, Amber loves to remind me that there's girls that were in my youth group when I worked at a church in a different lifetime. And I mean, in this body, but <laughs> you know, I was a very different version of me. I worked at two different churches right out of college that they'll tell me the impact I had. And I was, I look at that version of me and I'm like, oh gosh, she was just a lost, disconnected, disembodied, like, but I was in there, you know, like 
my essence was in there. And God works through us in ways that are so beyond our limiting crazy shit. You know, like God does, God's so much bigger than our limitations. And so I think I was always in there and I always have, I do really care about people and I really do love people. And there was so much earnestness, you know, I really wanted to do good. I really did. I really wanted to cause no harm. And I really did earnestly want to help people. And even when it was like, pray for this person, they're lost and we don't want them to go to hell. It was so earnest. That was my way of trying to love them because I was taught that that's how you love them. Yeah. I relate to that. I had like a list of people in my journal and I would truly sit with my prayer journal and I had different people, different categories of people. Cause I couldn't get to all of the people at once during every session. And I would one by one go down that list on different days of the week. You know, on Tuesdays, I pray for a family on Wednesdays. I pray for like these, these friends and on Wednesdays, I pray, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I've always really struggled with my earnestness. Mm-hmm. Like it saw it as a bad thing saw it as a thing that was so annoying about me. And I like tried to really curate this like image of myself that was like super badass and like was cool. Although I've never actually like felt that way. <laughs> like, maybe if I just like wear a certain outfit, I'm going to like not look like I'm like a bleeding heart all over the place. <laughs> I'm wondering, I did love you... your earnestness. Oh, That's it's so, so vulnerable. Good. Don't you feel so vulnerable? You know, I do at times, I feel very exposed and very vulnerable. And it's actually been really interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because as someone that feels all the things and who's so earnestly like, so I would love to hear your thoughts on this because, you know, I've been working with this amazing coach and the sensitivity part of me, like, I love the part of me that is so earnest that like, you know, every day when I wake up, I just ask God, like, give me your eyes, give me your heart, give me your words. Like, I want to, I really want to be of service. I want, when people leave my presence, I hope they experience such unconditional love and feel so loved by the divine, you know, like that is my it sounds so cheesy. Like it's my deepest hope and desire. Like when I go to the gas station, I'm like, may this person be blessed and feel God's love because we encountered each other and they experienced like the energy of Ruthie, which is the energy of God through me. Like I literally like think about these things. Like if I'm pumping gas, I'm like, whoever comes and holds this handle after me, like, oh, may they experience God's love. Or like I'm sleeping in this hotel bed and I'm like, whoever sleeps in this bed after me, like may they feel so held by God and so wrapped up in love. And, and I love that part of me. Like I love that But what I'm learning right now is even the way that I've loved people and given to people, I've been able to kind of stay in control because it's so much more vulnerable for me to receive that kind of love and to open myself up to receive. And so the way I've loved people has been able to, I've been able to in control. I don't even know how else to say it when, when I realized that, and it's not like, it's so earnest, it's so beautiful, but I was constantly 
burning out because I would just pour, like pour love out and didn't know how to fill myself back up. And thankfully I've like learned, learned this tea ritual that I do every day. And it just feels like God is just like filling me up, but I'm learning how to be open and receptive. It's a lot harder with humans. Like it's a lot more, (laughs) it feels different with me with God, you know, but to really be open and vulnerable and exposed, like with partnership, like I've stayed very much in control of that. Most of all my relationships up until now and not really letting them in and receive because I just expected to be hurt. And so I had these walls up around my heart and I'm like, I can give to you. And like, I want from you, but I don't know how to let myself receive. I don't know how to like really put my guard down and be open. And, and I'm learning right now how to do that, how to do that in my daily life, like how to let myself be vulnerable and needy which is very hard for me, <laughs> you know, cause like I'm out on this pilgrimage right now at home. Like I can host people. I can serve them meals. I can bring people in. I do tea ceremonies and rituals for them. I, there's so many ways I can give to people. And right now I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I'm going to need people to please have meals with me. I don't want to have all my meals alone. Like I'm going to need homes to stay in. I, I have a lot of needs, a lot of needs, and it feels so fucking vulnerable and so hard and so scary And to learn how to just trust and let myself receive the kind of love like you and I are talking about of giving to people, it's so, it's a lot harder for me to do. Does that land for you too? Like, does that? Yes, it very much lands. And I actually, you know, for my birthday this year, I just, I bought myself for my friend, Mariana, who's been on the podcast, she teaches tea ceremony. And so I've been in ceremony every day for the last like two weeks and I was doing kind of a tea practice, but having the ceremonial element, I really feel what you're saying about like serving myself and I'm really good at, uh, I've cultivated a life where I'm really good at having everything I need met. I'm very, very, uh, I'm very high performing, if you will, like I'll do everything. I'll just take care of it. And I did notice, you know, I was telling you on my birthday trip that I went on where we both happened to be in Santa Fe at the same time. And my friends planned the whole trip for me. And they often drove my car because, you know, to be honest, I am not good at paying attention to directions. I kind of get into the song and I'm just driving. (laughs) So I'm like, I am not paying attention to where we're going. I was just happily (laughs) listening to the song and enjoying the scenery. And so they were kind of like, you sit in the back. Well, you know, we'll drive, we'll take care of everything. And I had so much anxiety and guilt that I was like every day having to be like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not giving enough. They came on this trip and I was just like reeling about it. And I've always been very much that way. You know, growing up, I was the oldest and I was the child that was like the example for the others and how my parents would say, we hold you to a different standard than we hold you to the other children. And so a lot of my adaptive strategies have been making sure mom's okay, making sure her mental illness is okay, being happy so that everyone can be okay. So much so that I, you know, didn't even know I had needs. Yeah. 
And so I'm, I'm really good now at identifying what I need from myself and in my space. And, you know, I have a lot of support, like hiring people in my business and getting support from therapists or massage therapists, you know, like all of those things, yeah. but th- that isn't, I've realized that isn't vulnerable because totally. I'm still the one with the money. So the one saying I'm hiring this person and they don't have to see me whenever I'm like, like, I'm so, I'll tell my partner, I'm so sorry. I just need to watch TV. Like, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's like, uh, I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Like, why are you telling me this? And I'm realizing like, you know, in my previous partnership, if I ever got sick or if I ever had a down moment, which I've never dealt with depression or chronic pain or anything that would take me out mm-hmm. in a, in a way I've always been, my adaptive strategy kept me like turned on too high, maybe like going at it, hurting myself yeah. at the opposite extreme. And it would always be an issue. You know, I'm, I'm actually in a, a distanced relationship with my mother for the same reason. When I went to, uh, after my divorce and I came out and I went to visit and I was actually very ill at the time. I just like came down with it, which isn't random, but you know, got very sick upon my visit and no one was able to be like, are you okay? Yeah. It, it was like, why aren't you're not paying me enough attention? You're not doing this. And I just realized in that moment that, I had a coach actually tell me like, are there any, she asked, are there any safe places for you to land in your life? And it was so startling because I, you know, hold so much space for other people that I realized that I didn't have a space for me to land. And then whenever I did get that, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, you know, I, the, the guilt of falling apart. And so I'm like getting better at it, but it's still like, feeling like a burden. And a lot of my friends like hold space or they're therapists. So they, you know, a lot of my friends that I want to go to do these things for a living. And then there's that element of like not wanting to burden them with more work on their off time. And so I'm trying, I'm getting better, but I have to say that like receiving the support I give challenging. And also I think part of, I have really strong boundaries with people. And I think they're getting more fluid as I feel safer to protect myself in how much I love. And I think the more and more stable of the, um, the feeling I get is that people, when, if they knew how much I had to give, they would take it. And so there's this like, uh, and that's just, you know, overcorrection from having, I used to give and be so much more earnest publicly And I feel like I kind of moved into like a protective barrier of like, no, I'm just a business person and no one has to know. And I, you know, I don't do DMs and I overcorrected and I'm getting more comfortable. Like, you know, people can ask for something and that doesn't have to, it used, even if people asked, even if I said no, it would still be a very big deal in my system of like, this person's taking from me, they're exploiting me. And that was very much trauma brain. Sure. speaking. And so all that to say very much resonates. I also think that we're on the Enneagram. I think that we land in the same home as far as like <laughs> where we would, where we would go. Um, and so explore, I thought I was different numbers for a long time on the yeah. Enneagram. And so finding that out was like, Oh, okay. Like really <laughs> it's been this the whole time. I, I know that like codependency, like, I'm like, I know that <laughs> you know, I just felt like, Okay. I was just trying to hunt for some secret that was not obvious. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, it does. It feels like uh, a learning to, I've learned to attune to the needs, mm-hmm. but identifying, and I think this is the growth edge for me, that now there aren't unsafe people in my life. And so actually learning to weed out the unsafe people that would would abuse or would exploit or would not be able to meet the need, that's actually happened. And there's been enough safety now where it's like, oh, like presenting need isn't going to be catastrophic anymore, or it's not going to lead to further exploitation. So different, but same, you know? So get that. I so get that. I mean, writing my book and all that I was talking about, like I, I shrunk my world in so many ways and, you know, talking about internal family systems and then welcoming all of our parts to the table, like there, my table just gets more and more huge all the time. Like I recognize these parts of me that I had you know, push to the basement or didn't allow to be here. This is bad. This is dirty. Give this to Jesus. Or this is, you know, and I'm like, my table just keeps growing. Like shame sits at my table, lying sits at my table, stealing. I used to steal little shit all the time because it was this lack story. There's not going to be enough for me. So I need that extra granola bar. Like I love knowing that about you. God, I used to steal the most random. I like, I'm going to take this extra roll of toilet paper home because I don't know that I'm going to have an like crazy little shit all the time. Cause it was just, I didn't think, or I'm going to take an extra Topo Chico because I'm going to have one tomorrow. And then I won't, it's just, oh, you know, and getting to love on that part of me using people sits at my table. And of course it was unconscious, but you know, we're taught these are the people that are important or these people matter or these people are going to make you special or make you important. And, and I'm telling you through that version of lighting my world on fire, like when (laughs) writing that book, like so much shit burning away that didn't fit anymore. And as traumatizing and as painful as it was, it shrunk my world into people that feel so safe that people I don't have to shrink with people. Like it's, it gave me, it's like these, um, I feel like barriers, mat, something like literally fell off of my eyes where I could actually really see people. Some that had been in my life that I just had missed. I just, you know, probably in some gross way, which I get to love on that part of me, they probably didn't seem sparkly enough or special enough. And now I'm like, oh my God, I see you, you precious, profound, ancient, wise soul. I see you. Whereas other people that I was taught, this is who's important. This is they might not be in my life anymore. And it doesn't mean that they're not so profound and their hearts, their souls matter so much, but it didn't feel necessarily good having them in my life. And even if in the worldly sense, you know, I might get these things from them, or they might make me feel like I matter in the world's eyes. I'm like, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And yeah, people in my life, the world doesn't have a fucking clue about. And I'm like, these are the most profound humans. They are the safest, wisest. I can be so like Audrey Assad, this soul, I don't know how many lives we have done together. 
I missed her for so many years. I've known her since 2008. My ex-husband played on her first record and I met her when I was living in my bed and I couldn't see her. I couldn't see her yet. And now I'm like, like she literally, she's incredible. She is, we are soul partners. Like we are on this earth. Like we are so committed to each other's lives. Like Mm. she asked me for anything. Like I am in her will. Like she, she has Mm. access to every part of me. She's renting my home, like working out of it. She's like, I mean, it, we are so invested and I couldn't see her. I couldn't Mm. see her yet. And now I'm like, Oh my God. And so in a lot of ways, it's interesting because my world, my inner circle has shrunk a lot but my world has expanded. It's like on a more, there's more depth. Yeah. Deeper. It's richer. It's more soulful. It feels truer. It feels so much truer. If I feel like I'm in that season right now, you know, it's so interesting. I thought of this in the beginning of you talking, I, I didn't have a neck injury that caused any pain, but whenever I was born, I was like very much stuck and had like a traumatic birth situation, which of course now, you know, we know that that's a very big deal. And, uh, I went to the chiropractor because I was talking about in the spring, this is great. I've never shared this on the podcast. I was in a conflict with someone that I've been in a conflict with for a long time. And I was diminishing what I knew because I was making myself bad, which is you know, something I'm known to do in the past. And I was at a moon circle with all my, my people, you know, my people that Instagram doesn't know. And all, all of that same thing you're talking about And this person, you know, people on Instagram do know. And I'm, I said their name and my neck went out, like immediately my neck went out and I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> like, and I was just sitting, I wasn't moving. I wasn't even moving my head or moving my arms, just something slipped went to the chiropractor and found out my neck is complete, was completely straight and starting to tilt forward. Like they were like, like, have you been in a severe car accident? Like what happened? They were just like, this is like, this is bad. This is not good. And, um, I was at the same time doing somatic trauma work with a very skilled energetic practitioner who understands the nervous system quite well. And long story short, my, uh, we started doing this work on my neck. I was going to the chiropractor like far too often. I felt, I was like, this is a lot of visits, very inconvenient. <laughs> and it, it felt like seriously, suddenly Ruthie, all parts of me felt like they were in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. I felt like it felt like suddenly I had clarity that I could see all of the bullshit, my own and other people's clarity just very suddenly and people just within like two months, some, some non-dramatically, some conversations of course that happened, but just like left my life. People I was like never expecting to leave. And I was like, it was, there was grief, but it was just this knowing so clear that this is meant to happen. And then I found out my beautiful friend, Rachel Maddox wrote this book about developmental trauma through an archetypal lens. And she's been on the show. So people might know who she is. And I found out that in the brainstem and in the neck is the place that uh, a patterning of narcissistic abuse can take hold in the system. The, literally, I felt like my intuition was like my head and my body had been severed. And suddenly they were like together. And the knowings I had just like were online. And I'm just like, 
like you said about I'm not broken, that's been a big part of what I've been talking about. Cause it's been this, like my soul is like, I know I'm not broken. Why do I feel like this? And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm not broken. Like, oh my God, actually, like I'm not the problem in every situation. And just, I was actually going to ask you, so I'm so glad that you shared if your world has gotten smaller, because that's been my experience since having that moment of like, oh my God, I'm not broken. Like totally, totally. And who, even who I felt like I was meant to be in the world or what made me important or valuable or, you know, oh, bless so many stories that I just, I knew by heart. It didn't ever mean they were true, but I knew them by heart. We get them sometimes subtly, sometimes not subtly at all, but it's these messagings that we just constantly, constantly are being fed. We are breathing this shit in of who we think we need to be, to be important and valuable in this world. And it's such bullshit stories, right? It's such bullshit stories. And I think, God, giving myself grace, forgiving myself, forgiving myself for the ways that I have unconsciously used people. I am not blameless in these things, but I don't have to punish myself. I don't have to be a bad guy. I'm just so human. You know, it's so ingrained in us and those things just, they just don't fit anymore. They just don't fit anymore. And who has been left standing? Some people walked away and I honor that. I've walked away some things. I honor that. No one's a bad guy. No one has to be a bad guy. You know, like, you know, it was so interesting right before I left, I actually post about this, but I left a little bit part of it out. I posted about this the other day, right before I was leaving on this journey, I sat down to do tea one morning and I left this part. I don't know why I did, but I had had like one little tiny hit of weed, which it's funny. I can do like three cups of ayahuasca and still be like, I think I need more. I can have the tiniest bit of weed and go to the multiverse. It is I'm the, the exact same I like not, really can't smoke anymore because it's just so much. It's like, I would prefer to be alone because it does not seem to have the same impact on me. It has on others. It's interesting. And I, you know, I've been working with it a little bit with Audrey. I had not smoked. I used to use a lot of weed to try to not because people would be like, it'll help with your pain. I'm like, give me whatever I could. And I'm like, I hate this. It felt like it. I was hyper-focusing on my pain, but what I think was happening because I was using it in a very unconscious way, honestly, is it was trying to bring me back into my body and I was trying to get the fuck out of my body. And it was like hyper, I would be like, I'm hurting worse. Like I'm all I'm thinking about is my neck and I'm trying to get the fuck out of here, you know? So it was interesting in the spring, Audrey works with it and she's open about it. It's not like I'm outing her or anything, but we used it one day, just a little, I mean, I just do like teeny tiny amounts, like before tea. And like, it was like, it took me on this beautiful, beautiful journey. So I started working with it a little bit. And it's funny though, because the only times it's taken me to the multiverse is when I'm with Audrey, something happens. We work so magically together. Like it's tangible. Like people that aren't even connected to this world when we're together, they'll be like something. I don't understand it, but all I know is it's magical. Something happens when we're together. And anyway, I was about to leave and it was like day or two before I was leaving for my journey. 
And I had the tiniest little hit. And all of a sudden I'm like, I can't pour tea for you. Like we need to go lay down. Can you hold me? I need you to hold me. And we do that for each other all the time. Like she'll be like, I'm not okay. Can you come over? And I'll just go over and I'll hold her. And she'll, we've done this for each other. It's so beautiful. Anyway, she's holding me. I couldn't, I was, I could barely breathe. I was crying so hard. I was wailing about releasing all these things that have helped me feel safe for so long. Like I'm watching myself. The divine was asking me to hand these things over so that they could fill me up with even more. Right. So these parts of me that have helped me stay safe, like I literally saw myself peeling my white knuckles, gripping so tight, handing my tea room over, handing my house over handing my little garden and all my birds and handing over, not being there, watching my best friend's babies every day grow like that, like kills me to not be there for that. But it's like this knowing that God has asked me to go. So I'm like handing these things over to the divine and the divine was like, I want to dance with you. Like, let us just spin you around where you're dizzy and foolish and free and your hair looks fucking insane. And you don't even care. You don't know what way is up or down where what's so ironic is I literally have never loved partner dancing with people. I don't partner dance. Like if I'm out dancing and someone tries to come up and I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing my own thing because I didn't want to look stupid because I'd have to lose control. Of course, all this was unconscious. I'm like starting to see all of this. It was a way for me to stay in control. And so I'm seeing all this. I'm like handing these things over. And the divine was like, we are going to provide for you in ways that you can't even imagine. There's going to be so many helpers that you're going to get to learn how to receive from. And all of a sudden, all of these little precious souls, these humans started standing up. And I hadn't met most of these people yet and being like, I want to help. Let me help. I want to help because it was like they knew and I know that them helping me is helping them and them helping me is help. You know, it's like I'm doing the work I want to do in the world is of service for the collective. It's not mine. And so they're like, I want to help. Let me help. And it was more people than like could feel that fill the state of Tennessee. There were so many humans. But then all of a sudden, I started seeing these precious souls that really hurt me and caused a lot of harm and a lot of pain. And I hurt and caused a lot of pain too. And all these little souls, like I saw my ex-husband, he's like, I want to help. I helped. I'm so glad I got to help. And it was crazy because it was literally like they were past helpers, but they were a part of my entry point. And I saw them as these little souls being like, I'll do this. I'll play this role. I'll play this role. And it was visceral. Like it felt like the truest. And even these people that, you know, there's, there's a lot of wounding, a lot of wounding. And I just saw these little souls like me, let me help because they were a part of my invitation. And it was actually really wild. I haven't talked about this publicly at all, but I think it's okay to share. Um, the girl that my ex-partner ended up with, who was one of my closest friends, I actually invited her to tea 
before I left. And I got to tell her, like, I honor your soul every time I think about you. Because first off, their little girl is meant to be here. She is meant to be on this planet. And if he had not left me, I couldn't be the person sitting across from you today. And now listen, this is not a band-aid. I had to mourn and rage and lose my fucking mind and release trauma from my body. And this is seven years later. This is not like, or longer than that, however many years later, it's not in this band-aid jumping to that meta zoomed out because it is very meta and it's very zoomed out, but I felt all this viscerally. I mourned and I've healed. And now I can literally look at that situation and it feels like the truest thing I know. And even if I'm fucking wrong, I don't care. If something endears me to my own soul and endears me to someone else, I don't care if I'm wrong. I don't care. But I saw her in a meditation one day, literally before we came here, her little soul saying, I'll, I'll do it. I'll play that role. And I, I think her now, because I couldn't be who I am. And I love her. I love her. And I mean that, like, I love her. And I told her it was so brave of her to come have tea with me. Like the ripples of that love that go out into this world are so beyond what we can even know. The healing that took place in that little room are so beautiful, so profound, and so precious. And I am so grateful he left me. (laughs) And I think our souls, we have these soul family members, like he was a soulmate. I think we signed up to come here to activate the actual literal fuck out of each other. And we have since both woken up. I don't know that he sees me as someone that is loving in that way yet. And that's fine. He doesn't have to ever see that. I don't care. But I can like love him. And I know that it was loving. I know that he was a soul partner for that season for a reason. And it was a part of my invitation to ultimately wake up because it was a part of that same abandonment wound. That was my core wound that I ultimately got to go back in and heal that if it hadn't, if I hadn't kept recreating that abandonment story over and over, I wouldn't have ever healed it. I would have never healed it. And us doing this deep healing work. I mean, they say it can heal seven generations back and seven generations forward. Like I even told my mom, I mean, this is crazy. This is real. I told my mom, I'm like, you were the, I love that I chose you. She was so traumatized and had so much pain. Her mama died when she was so young. And so, so many ways she didn't know how to mama me. And if she had not, if that had not been the case, I wouldn't have ultimately learned how to mother myself. And then I wouldn't have been able to go in the world and teach this and mirror this because it's not mine. It's ours, you know? And I'm like, mama, I love that I chose you. You were the perfect mother. And that didn't mean I didn't have to fucking rage and feel bitterness and anger and all the things. And I have, and I let myself, and if those want to come up again, perfect. But what was so crazy, how our bodies hold our family's trauma. I didn't believe any of this for a long time, but then, you know, my mom had horrible periods. I'm sure her mom did, but she was 
too young and died too young to even know this stuff. But I always just thought it was genetic. I'm going to have horrible periods. I have cysts in my breast. I have cysts in my ovaries because my mom did. I had this whole ceremony with my mom. I come home a day or two later, Audrey comes over. I'm like, Audrey, because I don't wear deodorant and it's weird. I don't smell. And my right armpit smelled like actual asshole. Like it smelled so stinky. I don't even know. I don't have words for you for how assholey it smelled. And I'm like, Audrey, I like lift my armpit. I'm like, smell this. And she's like, wow. She goes, I feel like that might be one of your cysts coming out. And I feel my breast, the most painful cyst in my breast leaked through my armpit the day after I had that conversation with my mom. Yeah. I'm not like that. Things like that have happened to me that I'm like, what in the world? Truly. I had a, a cyst in my belly button. Wow. Talk about mom stuff yeah. before I decided to say I need some space mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. And I did a ceremony around it and it was gone the next day. And it had been there for three months since I had, since I had visited that's that story about going and visiting that cyst had been there and painful under my belly button. And the day after I did this cord cutting of like, I'm my own person. We don't have, we don't have to be connected in that way. Not like to not be connected, but you know, that that stuff is so real, real, so real. That is just amazing. That's so beautiful sister. Wow. Oh goodness. It's so beautiful to me. The, the journeys that we go on and it, all of these moments, right. They feel so significant to each of us. And I, I get the privilege of having so many of these beautiful conversations. And of course with clients and I, every conversation, I'm like, wow, we, all of our experiences are so unique. And then also we're all going, remembering the same things. We're all going home. I feel so uh, seen in ways that I, you know, was surprised, you know, cause this is, you have such a unique story. And then I'm like, oh my God, me too, me too, me too, this whole time. And I could, I feel like I'm speaking for millions of women who are like, oh my God, me too. Mm. As you're telling your story of like, we're all remembering the same thing. Yeah. And I'm being mindful of time because I know you have something after this, but it kind of, what I'm hearing, even as you're talking about plant medicine is like, there's some remembering and maybe you can briefly speak to this. If it's true for you about something about mother earth, something about true home that creates so much more stability than all of these silly dynamics that we've tried so hard to make us feel safe. I know it's so real. Yes. I think remembering, remembering like, you know, our bodies, when we come home to our bodies and we're connected to our own bodies, our body is the land. And so then I'm more connected to mama earth. And when I'm connected to mama earth, I'm more connected to myself. And when I'm disconnected to myself, like, you know, when you go to really impoverished areas and there's just litter everywhere. It it never surprises me because they haven't been taught so often. There's so much trauma and so much loss and they're, you know, they haven't been treated in a way that they, their bodies matter. There's like, mm-hmm. especially when you're a person of color or, you know, it's like you've been treated as lesser than. And so why would you fucking care about the earth? 
like you're, you're in survival mode at all times. So you're like, nobody cares about me. Why am I going to care about this? So it makes so much sense to me as we come back in and reconnect with our bodies and embody our own selves and our own hearts and connect to our heart centers that we connect more with the divine of mother earth with mother nature. Like I've never been more in love with mother nature. And I think too, what you were saying earlier, like, you know, I had been traveling nonstop. I mean, we had this huge book tour plan. My book came out a month into COVID and I was just going and going and going and going and going and everything stopped. And it was the first time since living in my bed, which I was not connected to myself or my body at that point, of course, not to mother. That was just on drugs, but it was the first time I'd been still for a very very long time. And as painful and as traumatic and feeling the collective trauma of all that happened, it also was really important for me. So much healing happened for me. It brought a lot of shit up and a lot of shit got to be healed. And I went to the woods every day. I had the privilege and the luxury of getting to live in a place and having the space to go to the woods every day. I planted a garden for the first time. I grow my, I was growing my own food. I had a bazillion birds and, and it was like, you know, I had traveled all over the world. Like I've hiked on glaciers and they say that knowledge is just a rumor until it's moved into the muscle. So I would be at these profound experiences. And I'm like, it was like a rumor. I'm like, I know this is amazing. I know this is amazing, but I didn't actually really feel it in my body because I was disassociated. I wasn't in my body. And so I would sit in my tea room as I've been doing this healing work, watching the birds, drinking a cup of tea, looking at these flowers. And I'm like, I get it. I finally get it. Like I get what people, it's not a rumor anymore. It's been moved to the muscle. It is like integrated into my cells. And like, I can watch, you know, yesterday, the amount of time I spent trying to get a butterfly that was trapped in a building outside. And I'm like looking at its wings and loving on this precious insect. And I'm like, you beautiful. Like, I want to save your life. I want to save your life. But like, I get it now. Cause I I'm like, I'm connected. This is consciousness. Like I'm connected. If my brother, my sister is suffering. I suffer. If mother nature is suffering, I'm cause I, I think what plant medicine did was like the greatest act of resistance on planet earth. Cause it brought me back home into the remembering of my home as my body and my heart as my body. And in that place, I remember the oneness of all things. I am you, you are me. If you suffer, I suffer. If that animal suffers, I suffer. I'm connected to that plant and that tree. And that is resistance because I can't see someone being treated as lesser than and see it as like an other that doesn't connect to me or doesn't matter. Cause like, if I remember the oneness of all things, if my brother or my sister is suffering, I suffer. And so that is what it's brought me home to. And listen, I'm human and I forget all the time. And then I get to remember and I get to remember and I get, and that's the daily. I feel like part of why we forget is we come to earth school with amnesia. We forget where we came from. We forget that we've been here before. We forget what our little souls signed up for. We're just, you know, there's 
so much of our family's epigenetics and trauma and our past lives trauma. And then we live through so much trauma. And so we forget. And that whole healing journey is unlearning that those stories and remembering what our souls always know, the oneness of all things. So that was a very long answer to your question. It was beautiful. Do you have space to do some rapid fire with me? Of course you do. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. You've answered some of these, I think, but okay. it'll still be fun to do like yeah. what's top yeah. of mind. Yeah. What is your spiritual background? I grew up um, in a very moral Southern world, you know, be, be good. You'd be a good girl. Like I was actually talking to my coach yesterday. If it was like 11, 11 or 12, 34, I'd be like, make me be good. Make me love Jesus. Make me be good. Because I just, I didn't know I was inherently good. Mm. And I got involved in a church that told me I was a broken, depraved wretch. So mm. yeah, that's, that's yeah. I'm learning. How do you know when you know? Mm. That's been so beautiful for me. It's kind of how I knew to go on this pilgrimage. None of it was logical. It didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense financially. It doesn't make sense in any way, but it was the deepest divine feminine guttural knowing like in my body, in my cells. Um, it, 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 I don't even, how do you describe divine feminine knowing, you know, it's like, it's like guttural. It's like, it's, um, root. It, um, mm. yeah, I feel it in my body. <laughs> my mind lies all the time. tells me all kind of fucking stories. My body loves to remind me of the truth. Mm. You've answered this in a lot of ways, but what identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? Good God, who I thought I had to be, to be lovable. You know, I remember my best friend, Jed telling me after hearing me talk when I first spoke like years ago, and I was telling the story about my dad's passing and smiling through the whole thing. And he was like, babe, you don't have to smile when you're telling that story, you know? And I think learning how to take care of myself and not just trying to please, to be accepted, to remember that I matter and I'm worthy and I'm deserving because I fucking exist. Mm. When I remember that, I can look at any human and know that they matter because they fucking exist. And they're the most mm -hmm. important human that I could possibly be in front of because I'm in front of them in that moment. There's no one more important, more valuable because they exist. Mm. What are you most enjoying learning right now? How to receive, mm. how to receive. What does grace mean to you? Mm. Radical acceptance, forgiveness. Um, grace for me is learning to love on all the parts of me that I felt were so unworthy and despicable. And remembering that they were always lovable and deserving of love. What's your go-to coffee shop order? I don't drink coffee. Isn't that weird? I don't drink coffee. So if they have chocolate, chocolate, <laughs> hot chocolate or tea, it sounds like. Tea. Well, you know, what's funny. I've never been a big tea drinker either until tea ritual. So I don't even drink like herbal tea. Mm. I just do it as um, ritual. Yeah, like in so ceremony. Like go to a um, coffee shop and order tea, which is so funny. 
it's different. It's loosely T is different than like, you know, yeah, I get you. Yeah. Last question is what do you want? I want to do what my soul came here to do. I want to, you know, we all have free will and I want, everyone doesn't learn all the lessons they came here to learn and they might learn it in a different body, in a different life, in a different way. But I really, my deepest hope and intention is to do what my soul came here to do, which is just to be love, to remember love and to be love everywhere I go. Um, I want to, you know, I really fully believe like transform people, transform people and heal people, heal people. Not that it's my job to heal them, but to mirror what is possible for them. It's not my job to fix anyone. It's just my job to be love. And, and I think, I do think I'm doing that. Um, I think you are too. Yeah. Thank you. I think you too. But I know there's so much more. I feel like, you know, they say the depths of pain and loss and trauma, you know, is the depths of love, ecstasy, all the things. Like I, right now, I'm learning a lot about pleasure, ecstasy. Like, I mean, as women, we push down our sexuality. We push down our, you know, like pussy magic. Like I used to even hearing that word, I'd be like, that's disgusting. That's so dirty. That's so bad. Or like sex magic or any of that. I just thought was disgusting. And it made me want to crawl under the bed. Like if someone talked about that, I'm like, go away, you know? But I think part of my soul's work is to come here to activate people and everyone won't like it. But when we do, you know, anti-cultural, anti-patriarchal work, and it doesn't fit in a box, like it's going to make people uncomfortable and some people will run for the Hills. And I honor that other people, it's going to plant seeds, you know, that down the road, they might be ready for it. And for others, they're ready. And I think that's part of what I came here to do is to tap into the fullness of that in every way, shape or form for myself so that I can mirror that. And it's a lot of pleasure. It's a lot of pleasure, mm. you know? It sounds like a lot of fun. And a lot of fun. So much joy. I laugh. I mean, my friends and I, like all this sounds so serious. We laugh till we hurt. We laugh. And we are just silly and idiotic. And that's freedom. You know, it doesn't have to be so serious and painful. And I thought that's how it had to be for so long, you know? And I'm like, fuck, we are here for pleasure and delight and joy. Like it's not all pain, just like getting through, you know? So good. Well, Ruthie, all of this has been so wonderful. And I'm just like, I'm, you know, just soaking up all of the love that you brought to this conversation. If people want to find you, where can they go? Um, well, I, most of my stuff, I really share on Instagram. So it's just at Ruthie Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Um, I'm trying to be better about doing my newsletter. I'm not great about it, but that is, that's a story it's changing. It's changing, it's changing, yes. it's changing, but yeah, that's how you can follow along. Like Audrey and I have, um, some work online that we're going to be pushing out in the next month. 
Um, Hillary and I have another course that we're going to be doing together, Hillary McBride, Audrey Assad. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be doing, offering these tea rituals and different, like I'm traveling all around right now. So I'm going to be offering it in different cities. So the best way to follow along is probably Instagram. And then my website is just ruthielindsay.com. Gorgeous. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for creating such a beautiful, intentional, safe space. It's such a um, beautiful container where people mm. feel safe enough to just like dive in. So thank you so much. I'm so oh grateful. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.